welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are. Because He loves us, God will chasten us when we're going the wrong direction. How do you react when you're rebuked and chastened by the Lord? Join us now as we continue our journey through the lineage of Jesus with Cheryl Broderson. Cheryl's message, Jehoshaphat and the Lessons for Battle. I love knowing that God is all right with my mistakes, that my mistakes are a bigger deal to me than they are to God. He's able to work with these things. Now, we're also told that God blessed Jehoshaphat. The fear of the Lord was on the other kingdoms so that they didn't attack Judah in verse 10 of chapter 17. He was increasingly powerful. He built fortresses and storage cities. He had an army of over a million mighty men of valor. And he was respected by the prophet Elisha. Elisha said, look, I don't want anything to do with these other men. But because Jehoshaphat is here and I know God, God cares about Jehoshaphat. God's going to work. So he's, he's blessed by God. God loves him. And yet, his folly was costly. The the mistakes he made were not like, well, that only cost you two cents. They were costly. A friend of mine was, um, she forgot to get her parking validated in England, and it ended up costing her 40 pounds, which is the equivalent of about $70. And so she won't go to that market again because she's so mad at that market for, you know, what they did and that they wouldn't have any grace. But I was thinking about, you know, some of our mistakes are costly. Sometimes they cost us a lot of money. And sometimes we judge our own condemnation or rightness with God by how expensive the lesson was. Well, God must have thought that was an important lesson if it costs so much. And I don't know about you, but the more costly a lesson is, the more I don't want to make that mistake again. Amen? Amen. Thank you. (laughs) So the marriage of his son caused many hard and evil years for Judah after Jehoshaphat's death. Jehoram, his son, who married Athaliah, he gave him the office of king because he was the oldest. Not because he sought the Lord for which son should be the king, but he went with kind of decorum of that day and gave it to the oldest. And we're told that Jehoram murdered all his brothers. No doubt under the influence of his evil wife, Athaliah, We're also told that Jehoram died an early death, a gruesome death. We're also learned that Jehoshaphat's grandson, Jehoram's son, Ahaziah, he was murdered in Israel, the kingdom of Israel, when he went to visit his brother-in-law. We also learn that Athaliah, Jehoshaphat's daughter-in-law, by this alliance that he made, 
that when her son died, she went around and murdered all of her grandchildren, except for one that she missed. But that's another story. Joash. And she reigned over Judah for six years, bringing Baal worship into the kingdom. So it was a costly mistake, this alliance through marriage. His military alliance was very costly. He didn't listen to the warning of the prophet Micaiah, who said, you're going to lose this battle for Ramoth Gilead. We find out in 2 Chronicles 18.31 that Jehoshaphat almost died in this battle. In fact, the enemy had said, the Assyrians had said, look, we just want to go after the king. Forget all the other soldiers. Go after the king. Ahab had said to Jehoshaphat, oh, you know what? You wear the royal robes. You look like king. You be the king of this battle. I'll, I'll just dress like a soldier and bringing all the attention to Jehoshaphat. Yet when Jehoshaphat is in the middle of this battle, which is very costly, and he almost loses his life because the attention of the Assyrians is focused on the king, but he cries out to God in the midst of the battle and God diverts the enemy from him and he's able to escape. But it's a costly battle. It greatly reduced the army of Judah Remember, they once were a million strong. They had the respect of the other nations and they lost the battle. The military alliance with Ahab's son against Moab jeopardized the lives of the men of Judah for the financial gain of Israel. They almost lost their troops and animals to thirst and they were saved only by God's intervention. And then when they won the battle, they were disgraced by the king of Moab. And yet... Jehoshaphat learned essential lessons. Some of your most essential and important lessons are learned through your failure and folly. I know if I look back in my life, I can see that my greatest lessons, the greatest things I learned were not from my victory, like, oh, I'll try that again, that one worked, but through my failure. Through the times I got it wrong. Let me tell you this. I never, ever throw a wet towel on my dirty clothes. Ever. Under any circumstances. I now understand what the railings in the bathroom are all about. They're for hanging your damp towels. We need to learn. This is where the essential lessons are. So I want to talk about, and this is going to be quick, 11 lessons, no kidding, that Jehoshaphat learned. So lesson number one, he learned to seek God. Again, Proverbs um, 3, verse 6, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Remember in the court of Ahab, he had asked for a prophet And when the prophet Micaiah said, you're going to lose this battle, God is not with you. He, although he had sought the Lord, he didn't listen to the Lord, but he learned to seek the Lord. I love how Jehoshaphat's always going, is there a prophet? Is there a prophet? We need to have a prophet. So he learned to seek a prophet, one. But two, he learned to listen to God's prophets. We realize when he meets with Elisha, And Elisha says, dig ditches in this valley in 2 Kings chapter 3. You know what? 
he starts digging ditches. What does that show you? That he learned, listen to the word of the prophets. In chapter 20, verse 20 of Second Chronicles, he says to the people, believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. Believe his prophets and you shall prosper. He realized that it's through listening to the prophets that there would be prosperity. So he learned to not only ask and seek God, but to listen to God's prophets. Three, he learned the importance of God's word, that it is absolute, that there's no wiggle room, that it does not fail. What Micaiah said, that they would lose the battle, they lost the battle. It happened just as Micaiah said. When Elisha said, dig ditches, you won't see wind, you won't see rain, but this valley will be filled with water. They woke up the next morning and what? The valley was filled with water. Elisha said they would have a victory over Moab. It was an easy thing to the Lord. And what happened? They had a victory over Moab. So Jehoshaphat learned that God's word does not fail. It is absolute. As Elizabeth Elliot said, God does not give advice. He gives commands and instructions. It's not suggestions, helpful suggestions. When God speaks, he is telling us what needs to be done. Fourthly, he learned to obey God's word. Again, going back to 2 Kings chapter 3, that God's word needs to be acted on. If they hadn't dug ditches, there would have been no place for the water to go. Somebody brought up in leaders meeting today. What if they had only dug one ditch or two ditches or three ditches? They were rewarded according to the number of ditches they dug. And they dug the number of ditches according to how much they believed and obeyed the word of God. And because they obeyed the word of God and they dug a multitude of ditches, the valley was filled with water. It's not just about the end objective. But it's about the how. We need to do it God's way. And that's what happens when we obey God's word. You know, so many people get the end objective. I've actually had a person tell me, oh, I lie for God. No, you don't. And in Proverbs chapter 6, it's one of the things that's absolutely abominable, detestable that he hates is lying. God does not achieve his way through lying. In fact, it says that all the ways of the Lord are mercy and truth. God wants things done his way. And God has a specific way that he wants things done. And this is one of the things that Jehoshaphat learned, that God has a specific way. We are to seek not only the will of the Lord, but the way of the Lord. Lord, how do you want your will done? He learned about God's mercy because again, when he cried out to God, Even though he was in the wrong alliance, the wrong battle, the wrong clothes, with the wrong enemy, God heard his cry and saved him. That's mercy. You know, so many times when we're praying, we're like, Lord, you probably aren't going to save me because I got myself into this. Probably not going to help me get these black spots out of my two favorite sweaters because I'm the one who threw the black scarf in. But God is a saving God. God hears us. God has mercy on us. He forgives us and he works. Next, he learned to recognize the word of the Lord. 
It is so essential that we recognize that's God. That's God's word. You know, there were all those other prophets in Ahab's court, and he wasn't sure of their word. And when Micaiah spoke, he's like, oh, that is another word. But he needed to learn to recognize that's God. From every other word, that's God. It's interesting because um, I remember this person came up to me and they said, um, I'd like you to do a retreat for us. And I said, okay, great. What's it on? And they said, surrender. And you know what it was like? It was like, it was like all of a sudden his voice changed. It was the voice of God thundering in the room. Surrender. I had asked the Lord for a word for a specific situation I was going through. And when he said that word, it was like, you know, my mouth, he's like, are you all right with that? I'm like, I'm so all right with that. I, I was, I'm going through an, another huge, huge trial in Spit. And I came to the, the office, and I don't know if you have this, but Brian's gone in most of my huge trials. And it's usually like, I think God takes Brian out of the way, like, no, it's going to be about you and me, not about you and me and him, even though you love him. And I put my word in his mouth, you need to rely on me. So Brian's out of the picture. So I'm going through this thing, and I, I went through this traumatic thing, and then Um, it was just very confusing. Isn't it true that Satan is the author of confusion? Whenever I'm confused, I know, okay, the devil is in this and I need to hear from God specifically. And that's what I was saying to the Lord. I'm confused. I need to hear from you specifically about this. I remember I came to church. John Chubak is in the office and John Chubak says, Cheryl, how are you doing? I don't know why he asked me that. He probably regretted it later. But he asked me how I was doing, and I said, you know, John, I'm I'm really going through something. And I just lightly outlined it. And he said to me, Cheryl, you know what I would do? Are you one, I think? And I'm like, no. And he goes, oh, I shouldn't tell you something. I'm like, no, no, tell me. I want to hear what you feel the Lord is laying on your heart. And he said this word, disengage. And it was so interesting because I told somebody earlier, I don't want to engage the enemy. And then he says to me, disengage, remove yourself from this, stand back. And I knew, I recognized this is the word of God. This is God speaking to me right now. And I have so much respect for John Chubeck, even more than I had before, which was a lot. But that was God speaking to me. We need to learn to recognize the word of God. And it will come sometimes through not recognizing it. And you, you realize, wait, that was God warning me. Micaiah was God warning me. I want to recognize the word of God so that by the time he was hearing Elisha say, dig ditches, he knew this is the word of God. He learned that God disciplines those he loves. We're told in Hebrews 12, five through six, my son, do not despise the chasing of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Not only does God chasten those he loves, in fact, when you're chastened, when you're caught, when you realize your mistake, you know what? You're loved. That means you're loved. People who are not chastened are not loved. But God loves you enough to not let you get away with that. That's really good news. It's kind of backward good news, but it is good news. But not only that, God uses chastening to train us, to get us ready for the big battles. 
Hebrews 12, 11, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful, no doubt. Nevertheless, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. In other words, we learn essential lessons when we are chastened, lessons that we need. We learn, or Jehoshaphat learned, that God is a covenant-keeping God. Their song in battle was praise the Lord for his faithful love or his mercy endures forever. That word mercy or faithful love is the Hebrew word chesed, C-H-E-S-E-D, pronounced chesed. And it means the covenant. It means that God is married and he is covenanted with you. You're in a marriage. I am so glad that I'm covenanted with Brian Broderson because I'm not always nice. And I'm not always the easiest person to be married to because I'm a woman, just so I'm not alone in this. I have, I have grumpy days. I have days when I don't want to make dinner. I remember this one time, we, I was just grumpy and he wanted dinner, so I made him dinner. And so he's eating his vegetables and he realizes they taste a little strange. And he, he goes over and he looks at the pot and he takes the steamer out. And I have steamed his vegetables with an SOS pad. He's like, Cheryl, do you love me? And I'm like, of course I love you. He's like, did, did you want to poison me? I'm like, no. H- how upset are you with me? I said, I'm not upset. I'm just irritable. Come on. And he goes, get over it. And he's like, did you realize that you steam my vegetables with an SOS pad? I'm like, I'm so sorry. No, I wasn't purposeful. You know what? He stayed married to me. That was over 20 years ago that I did the SOS. He hasn't forgotten, and he does check the steamed vegetables. But he stayed with me. He's, you know, because he's covenanted. He made that covenant before God, and he stays with me whether I'm grumpy or whether I'm nice. Because it's a covenant. You know, God stays with you whether you're making mistakes or whether you're getting it right. Because he made this covenant with you. This covenant through Jesus Christ. This is the covenant that he's made with you. The, and, it's, and it's sealed with the blood and body of Jesus Christ. He will not go back on that covenant. Again, because it's sealed with the precious blood of his own son. He, he's going to remain faithful to you, said, And that's what Jehoshaphat learned, that God had covenanted with him, with Judah, with those who sought him. And because Jehoshaphat didn't seek the gods of the other nations, but only sought God, God would keep his covenant. He learned that when he was rebuked or corrected, He shouldn't harden his heart like Asa's father did, but he should press harder into God. When the prophet Jehu rebuked him and said, should you love the wicked and help those who hate the Lord? Instead of saying, how dare you correct me? I'm the king. I don't get things wrong. We're told that he then went into all of the regions of Judah, taking them the law, and bringing them back to the Lord, their God. 
It didn't turn him from God. It made him press in harder to God. When we get it wrong, it's not the time to go, well, I just can't do this. It's the time to press harder into the Lord. He learned to rely on God and not earthly alliances or armies for victory. He learned that a king is not saved by the strength or the multitude of his army, but by God. And then he learned to pray, to really pray. My mistakes, my folly, it teaches me to pray. These lessons would prove invaluable and essential in the ultimate conflict of his life. You see, you need every lesson that you're learning from your mistakes for the ultimate conflict in life. After godly reforms in Judah, Jehoshaphat receives news that the Moabites have joined forces with the Ammonites and the people of Mount Seir. This is an aggressive alliance. This is an alliance that has been formed to take Jerusalem and Judah out and down to destroy them. And they've aligned these enemies. And it's a vast multitude. It's an aggressive multitude. It's an alliance. And it's very close by. It is less than a day's journey from Jerusalem. And Jehoshaphat, at this point, he begins to fall back on those lessons that he has learned. He gathers all of Judah together in the courtyard of the temple. And he begins to seek the Lord. And he prays. And oh, what a prayer he prays. And you see that he has learned to pray. We don't have a record of him praying any other prayer but help. But now his prayer has gotten bigger. And the first thing he does is he remembers the power and the sovereignty of God. Oh, Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand, is there not power and might so that no one can withstand you? Next, he calls upon God's proven character. Because again, he's the covenant keeping God. You're the God that drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people, Israel. You're the God that gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever. You gave us this land and we are only here because you gave it to us. And if you hadn't given it to us, we wouldn't live here. We would live in England, but you gave us this land. We learn that he's a promising God, a God who keeps his promises, his word. Because God had said, if disaster comes upon you or sword or judgment, pestilence or famine, then if you look to the temple, if you seek me and pray and cry out in your affliction, God had promised to hear and to save. And then what does he do after? After calling on the power and the proven character and the promises of God, he presents the problem. You know, sometimes in our prayers, we present the problem first, don't we? But it's so important that we, again, go into thanksgiving, as it tells us in Philippians chapter four, that we are not to be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, present our problems to God. And that's when that peace happens. So he presents the problem. Now here are the people of Ammon and Moab and Mount 
Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. In other words, Lord, we have not provoked, we have not touched them. We have kept the covenant that you gave us. But they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. This is how they're returning our good. They're returning it with evil. And then the request, oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. God loves us so much that he will rebuke and chasten us when we're making mistakes. It's important that we don't harden our hearts, but instead press harder into God. In these times of correction, God is allowing us a valuable learning opportunity. Let's just put it this way. When you make a mistake and don't heed God's correction, that is a mistake. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study with Cheryl Broderson. If you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply visit our website at graciouswords.com or call 1-800-733-6443 and refer to it by name, which is Jehoshaphat and Lessons for Battle. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll forge on in our study of the life of Jehoshaphat and learn the lessons for battle as we continue our series with Cheryl Broderson through the lineage of the king. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.